hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as our regular listeners know, the purpose of the Do One Better podcast is to inspire our global listeners to be more philanthropic and to act sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship. And before we kick things off, if you subscribe by hitting that little button on your iPhone or Android device, that would be great. And today it's a real pleasure to welcome on board Leanne Rubinstein, who is the CEO of Compassionate Atlanta, who joins me from Atlanta today. And uh, Leanne, uh, welcome on board to the podcast today. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Wonderful. So today we're going to talk about a few things that, uh, to be perfectly candid with you, I haven't been terribly familiar with. And there's the, uh, the Charter for Compassion, which is, I think, the core of today's conversation. And what does it mean to be a compassionate city? What does it mean to treat others with a certain degree of respect and dignity? And so compassion is the topic of today. And you're running an organization in Atlanta that avails itself of, uh, of the essence, I guess, of the Charter for Compassion. So why don't we kick off and tell us a little bit about what compassion is in your words and what is this Charter for Compassion? Yeah. Well, um, I'm very glad to be talking about it. Um, compassion, the Charter for Compassion was actually, um, it was the wish of Karen Armstrong. She did a TED Talk in 2008 about compassion, and she was awarded the TED Wish. And her wish was to create a simple document that, in her words, she's a theologian, and in her words, brought people back to the center of morality. Okay, what does that mean? Those are, you know, maybe theologian words, but it is treat others as they wish to be treated. And so together with many, many people around the world, they actually had people write in about what this Charter for Compassion would look like from a hundred different countries, uh, 150,000 people put in their, their thoughts of what it would look like. And she created this simple document um, and it has been now endorsed around the world, uh, many world leaders, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, in countries all over the world, they have adopted this charter, which again is the essence of the golden rule. Uh, let us respect one another. One of the lines in there says, teach your children about other religions, traditions, and cultures. Because the idea is common humanity. Once we get to know each other, it's much harder to dislike one another or to hate one another uh, if we get to know the essence of who people are. So that is the charter. There's an international charter office, and there are over 500 different uh, cities or chapters around the world and about 197 in the United States that all have some uh, arm of the chapter. So that's, that's what uh, the Charter for Compassion is all about. How did you get into this? How did I get into it? Well, you know, it's interesting. Most of the jobs I've had, I kind of joke and I say they found me uh -huh. rather than I found them. Um, and um, for many years, I worked in refugee resettlement. So working with people who were displaced around the world who were um, coming to the United States through the U.S. refugee program. And it, it was my comfort zone to be in a space with people who were from all over the world and people who brought their richness and essence of who they were. And so we were all different, but we were all very much alike. And so I think from that, uh, I worked in a uh, little bit in mental health and then um, I took a leap of faith 
I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And this job found me. So I say, um, you know, instead of I found compassion, compassion found me. And it's really been um, four years of uh, amazing connections with people and organizations that are doing good in the world. So there are 500 chapters, you say, across the world. Are chapters generally at the city level? That's a good question. It's, it's a grassroots movement. So every, every chapter, if you will, looks different. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I really love about this work is that we're independent. So we're, you know, what is compassion? What are we talking about? Are we talking about compassion for the earth? Are we talking about compassion for children and youth? Are we talking about compassion for people who are incarcerated? I mean, there, it's really a huge umbrella that we're talking about with compassion. And so what's unique about that is that we get to listen to the community. And when they, the community says, we're really interested. And when I say the community, I mean, I'll get a call from someone who says, I really want to do a program around, um, there's actually an artist we're working with and she wants, she's, uh, been trained on educating about climate change and what we can each do individually to be better for the earth. So uh, she wanted to do a program. I said, okay, well, let's do it. I mean, she's got the knowledge. Uh, she's got the materials and she just needs uh, an organization to connect with to put it out there. So we're having this great uh, program coming up and Sierra Club is joining us with that. So um, what we do is based on what the community wants. And so all those uh, cities around the world, sometimes it is on a city level mm -hmm. and the mayors are very involved. Um, and then sometimes it's grassroots and it's really people in the community. The city does not have to sign. We always want the cities to sign, but sometimes that doesn't happen. So right. you can have a mayor like the mayor of Louisville, Greg Fisher, who is very much a cheerleader for the Charter for Compassion. Uh, and that's wonderful. And other times, Atlanta is very big and we have lots of different cities in Atlanta. We're not just what Metro Atlanta is made up of a lot of different cities. Mm -hmm. So we really have the people who are driving it. Right. At, at the roots level. And if somebody's listening to this and they think this is really interesting, I'm, I'm somewhat inclined to explore starting a chapter in my local city. Or is there a process mm -hmm. through which somebody signs up for this? Or is it just, you know, start doing good? That's a good question. We'll always start doing good. Mm -hmm. And um, you can go to the Charter for Compassion uh, website and um, they will, you can sign up to be a partner. So if you're a business or, uh, an individual. So individuals can sign the charter, but also businesses or cities, or if there's a group of people, just sign up and say, I want to start getting something involved in my city. And what we're doing is actually on the international level is working on a sister cities initiative so that some cities like city of Atlanta, charter for Compa uh, uh, compassion Atlanta can mentor a new city that's just getting started to say this is how because compassion atlanta started with a group of volunteers mm -hmm. and they uh, were actually asked to do an event called faiths against hate okay and bob thompson who's the founder said well faith should be against hate 
<laughs> why don't we call it something more proactive? And he remembered signing the Charter for Compassion. And from there, they had a wonderful launch about what would make Atlanta a more compassionate city. And then those volunteers kept it going until they said, we really need to formalize and became their own nonprofit and then hired on an executive director. And, and here we are today. Right. So it is really individuals can make a difference. I think I hear that on all of the podcasts of, of your, your podcast that I've listened to. It's really up to the individual. And there's so much we can do when we put our hearts and minds to it. Indeed. And in terms of, well, you mentioned faith. Is the charter in itself, you mentioned Desmond Tutu, is it grounded in theology or ethics that are, say, from the Abrahamic faiths? Or is it more a question of interfaith dialogue and openness and interaction with people of all faiths and even those who maybe don't have a highly prescriptive faith or, or perhaps describe themselves as atheists? Yeah, it's really for everybody. So compassion is, is overarching. There is an interfaith component. Now, remember, Karen Armstrong, who started this, is a theologian. So when she talked about compassion, she also brought up the fact that religion has done harm and religion should not do any harm. I mean, it's the basis of every religion is not to do harm. And yet we get off track. And so um, so that was part of her call. And many religious leaders said, yes, you're right. We need to make sure that religion is not doing harm. Um, but it, that's not exclusive. So interfaith dialogue is a key component because it starts to break down those barriers. I think many times um, in the faith community, we are absorbed into our own faith community and we don't always have connection with others. So we have these stereotypes of who the others are, or we have uh, things that we learn on the media about who these others are. And we say they, this whole group of people which we know is never the case. And so once we start to sit down and have an interfaith dialogue, that's when we get to say, oh, hi, you know, I'm Jewish and you're Muslim and look how much we have in common. And, uh, you know, oh, wow, you say salam and I say shalom and it's so close and this is your tradition and this is my tradition. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize we had all this in common. Well, that doesn't usually happen until we sit down at the table with one another. So that's where the interfaith comes in. But a lot of times, Compassion in Atlanta, we represent the secular community. Because when you go to an interfaith event and you have all the different faiths re represented, you don't. it's not always a call to the secular community as well. So we say, okay, so it's people that are um, dedicated to their faith, and it's people who their faith might be going for a walk in the woods. Um, or, or whatever that means to them. But let's all come together because there's even a divide within saying the faith community and the non-faith community mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in itself. So even bridging that, say we, we all have something that something may look different to us, but deep down at the core, it's usually the values are the same. And how do you foster these interactions? Because I imagine that they probably don't just materialize on their own. Something or someone needs to nudge them along or facilitate the right context, whether it's interfaith dialogue or, or whether it's bringing people together in, in what is today arguably a very divided sort of political discourse, very polarized. Yes. How can you drive this along forward to foster this compassion? So one of the things is we don't focus on the difference, but we focus on the similarity. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, if you have a prop, if you have a program on, um, you know, which candidate are you voting for? Well, you know, you're going to get one side or another. But if you have a program on, like we just had a program on um, inclusion in the media and the arts. What does that look like to have authenticity in our, uh, in, in the, the shows that we watch? And it was a great panel. There were about nine people from talent agents to producers and actors. Um, and so everybody who came was coming because they were interested in media and the arts. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked a lot about authenticity and being inclusive, but we didn't get to politics. We just talked about movies. And so when you start to do that, then you get to know people in, in a way that breaks down the barriers. Because you don't start with the hardest conversation first. Right. Then all of a sudden, all of us, we all put up our shields of defense. You start with something that's really kind of easy and basic. What's your favorite food, right? Where do you like to go and, you know, uh, what do you like to do for leisure time? And then you find those commonalities and then you work together to get to know each other after that. So a lot of our community conversations are just about that. They're about a topic, might be wellness. What does wellness mean to you? Well, doesn't matter politically how you vote or anything like that, but I think we can sit down at a table and talk about what wellness means to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we have those conversations. So you seem to approach this quite, um, I don't want to use the word clinically, but you seem to have a framework in terms of how you're approaching it from the simple conversations first and so forth. Is there a, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, there is. And I think it's growing and growing. Um, Uh, Emory University has a program where they work with their medical school. And it's not just Emory. It's just I'm here in Atlanta, so I I pick on Emory. But uh, working with doctors in a clinical setting about how compassion uh, can help with the treatment of a patient. And so there's there's a whole science behind compassion, what it does to our brains as well. So uh, as much as it's going to help someone uh, feel better and get better and the science behind that um, and also ourselves and our thinking. And if we can train our brain in a certain way, which we can, there's a lot of research out there about brain plasticity, mm-hmm. how to change your brain. And so um, it's it's also, you know, I like to break it down into very easy, common everyday things. That's how, you know, I live my life that way. So we can, we talk about science, important to understand where it's coming from, but how does it react in my everyday life? You know, so um, something can happen to me um, and I, you know, I I don't know, I go get a cup of coffee and, and it doesn't taste right. Right. And so I'm irritated that my coffee doesn't taste right. And then I'm thinking about that. And then I'm in traffic. And then, you know, the day just gets harder and harder as we go along because my mind is thinking about the things that are not going right. Mm -hmm. Now, if I shifted that in my brain and I go, oh, okay, well, you know what? If I put a little bit more sweetener in the coffee, it'll be fine. Or I'm really glad that I got up early enough to have a cup of coffee. And, you know, I left in enough time so that I do have traffic, but I'm still going to get there on time. Or what typically happens, sometimes it's like, I'm not going to get there on time, but I can call the person and say, hey, I'll be there a couple of minutes late. 
And then my brain starts to react differently. Then my brain is like, oh, okay, well, let's not get so excited about this. Like, okay, you got your coffee, you put in a little bit more sweetener, you're driving down the road, you're listening to a great podcast, all is good in the world. And all of a sudden, my brain has shifted the way I'm going to react to the next person that I see. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the science of compassion. Um, that's compassion for self, but we talk about compassion for others. So compassion for others is also looking at someone else and understanding. Now, with compassion, a lot of times we use the word the suffering of another. Okay. Right? Is to to walk with another in their suffering. Now, that's also a very deep word, suffering. And compassion is for a small thing, whether it's a, you know, a child being bullied or an adult being bullied, let's go there, um, to, to really, really hard, uh, um, difficult things of, um, poverty or, um, you know, someone, you know, gun violence, I don't know, whatever it might be. That's a, that's a very, very hard thing. Okay. And then we look at, even things that happen in our everyday lives, like you have a coworker and they're just not themselves. Well, why is that happening? What's going on in their life? Maybe they want to share it with you. Maybe they don't, but either way to give them a little bit of a break of something could be going on there. And I just don't know. Mm-hmm. It. That's where compassion comes into it. And I think the other piece of that science we work with Life University has a a center for also uh, compassion, integrity, and secular ethics. And their training brings in a systems approach. And as much of what you talk about as well on your podcast is when we look at systems, how are we changing systems? And so compassion comes into that as well. So it's three parts, compassion for self, compassion for others, and then what does it look like within a system? How do I, how am I treated in that system? And then how does that system treat others? And how do we make decisions based on that? Yeah. And in terms of the workplace, I mean, you mentioned about a colleague maybe is not up to their usual selves and so forth. But there seems to me so much that one reads in the news or sees in the news these days about stress, work-life balance, work-related, mm-hmm. work-related challenges whether you're a single mother with kids or whatever, long hours, few holidays, how can mm-hmm. this, uh, how can compassion be a transformative force for the betterment of uh, workplace environments? Yeah. So the CEO of LinkedIn talks about compassion and how he uses compassion as a leader. And I think that is the that's what we're looking at going forward is leaders in the workplace uh, that take on this charge of compassion. What does it look like to be compassionate in your workplace? Because in the end, the results are going to be less turnover, happier and more productive employees. Mm -hmm. Because when you feel like you are valued at work, you're going to give more to that workplace. And so it's a, it's a shifting of what it means to be a good worker. You know, it used to be nine to five. Now it's what? Nine to nine to 10 to 11 to 12 now sure. on your phone. But, but still, but it doesn't mean like, it's not in the office. You don't have to be in the office to be productive. Um, you don't always have to show up nine to five in Atlanta. We have terrible traffic, so maybe you can work 10 to six. 
is that really good? Every job is different. Not all jobs can do that. But how can we shift things? Um, I was reading an article about the co-working spaces that are now being created with daycare centers. Mm -hmm. So you come with your kids, you drop them off, you go to the co-working space and, you know, what a great idea. And some of these ideas, they're like so simple, but when you see it, it's genius. And so I think that's what it comes down to in business. You know, sometimes business doesn't like the word compassion because it feels a little bit soft, but compassion is really strong and you can use other words, use, um, uh, good, good customer support. That's being compassionate, good employee relations. That's being compassionate. Um, so choose the words that work for you. But at the end of the day, I think the other piece is getting people around the table, getting your employees around the table. What, what makes sense for you? What would make you happier in this job? And a lot of times I don't think the answers are going to be huge things that are going to disrupt everything. They're going to be small little incremental changes that are going to uh, really raise the level of contentment or happiness for everybody in the building or wherever you're working because we rub off on one another. So that kind of that, that whole thing about the coffee and the traffic, when I get to my meeting, if I'm cranky, well, the meeting's only going to go a certain way. But if I get to my meeting and I've taken a couple breaths and I haven't let it get to me, then it's going to go a different way. And so there's a ripple effect of where this we can affect the energy in the room. And if I'm a CEO listening to this and I think, well, this really resonates with me, but mm -hmm. there's so many broad topics that you're talking about from human resources to customer service. And where, where do I start? Do I first look at the charter itself and maybe is there is there a certification or, or a, uh, a means of formally aligning my firm with the charter? There is. So you can sign up to be a charter and there is a business sector for the charter. So you can look at that business sector. Um, you know, I think my one of my dreams is to have a that kind of like checklist of these are the things that we're doing. N not, you know, one of the things might be, so we're having people sit around the table and having that conversation. It's not an exact, you must do this, 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 although there will be probably some of those things. Do you have these things in place? Um, we don't have that yet. And um, that's one of my wishes and hopes is that what we had, we would have something that says, uh, this is a checklist that uh, you can look at as a business owner and say, wow, we're doing this, or, oh, I never thought about this. We'd like to do this. And the idea is also that it's progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're always working towards the betterment, but we don't expect everybody to be perfect. And our society is changing all the time, so it's very hard to be perfect. So it's a constant work in progress. So I would say, yes, go to the charter page, look up, uh, the business sector, um, you know, folks can get in touch with me. I'll, I'll find you the right person to talk to. Um, and, um, and if, if you're doing it even on your own, get people around the table and then make sure that the people around the table are bringing different, a homogenous group around the table that may not be the most compassionate way to do things. So make sure you're including the younger people in your organization. Make sure you're com 
including different races, different ethnicities, different religions? What does this mean to everybody? Women, make sure they're women in the room. Uh, what what does that look like? Because if you're all looking at each other and you think the same things, then things aren't going to change. So inclusivity and fluid communications are two of those uh, two of the bits that are very yes. very important. And how do you know whether uh -huh. you're succeeding, whether you're moving the needle in the right direction? Because again, it's such a broad level of engagement, and mm -hmm. it's a bit of a loaded question, right? Because what are you going to be measuring? And I guess most of your evidence is anecdotal you you you, you see things mm -hmm. in front of you and, but how do you know whether you're on the right track beyond intuition yeah that is a good question i think it's easier to measure like like in a business because you can and measure employee satisfaction or things like that um, I think societally, it's it's harder to measure, but the way we look at it is what initiatives have come up um, that might not have been there otherwise. What mm -hmm. are things that are going on and how is that impacting? So uh, last year, we had a group of people who said there's no winter warming shelter in one of our counties. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to create that. And so this group of three or four people got together and they had two winter warming shelters at local churches. They provided breakfast and dinner every night. And I think, I don't know, it was over, over 60 people who were uh, given a warm place to sleep during the winter nights. That to me is success sure. because it is, people's initiative that are making a change and making that connection. So how many of those people uh, were kept safe for those nights? And then we look at the longer term trajectory of then how can we look at more permanent housing? But it, it, it is hard to measure. I think we can own, sometimes just measure ourselves and what does compassion look like in our own lives? And how is that changing the way that our circle of influence is uh, shifting because of compassion. Does your work, well, I imagine I know the answer to this, but I'm curious anyways, beyond the professional, your embrace of compassion must have a ripple effect within your family life, within your colleagues and friends, people who don't interact with you professionally, but the energy and the, uh, and the insight that you bring to your professional life probably just spills over to your personal too. Well, it does. It, I, I really think it changes you. I think when you start to see things differently, um, I'll tell you that that uh, I, I once asked my mom, um, a friend had given me a question, and I asked her to explain, describe each of her children in just one word. And the word she had for me was fiery. Uh -huh. And of course, I said, fiery? Come on, mom. What do you mean fiery? Like, I did not take that as a compliment. Mm-hmm. And um, that was many years ago. And I asked her again, um, one word, and she said, passionate. Right. And to me, that shift is how it affects me in my personal life. I am very passionate. I am a lot of fiery, but I've learned that the fire, um, fire is not always effective. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, uh, being passionate is good. And so how do you talk to other people who are have have differences than you do? Um, you know, and within my family, we have a lot of differences. Sometimes I'm not as compassionate as I 
I want to be. And I have to remind myself of some of the things that I'm learning. So it's a constant, we're always learning, right? Sometimes it's easier for me to have a conversation with a, a stranger that might be very different. Um, I think it's sometimes <clears throat> the people that are closest to us that we see every single day that we have to even work harder mm -hmm. to make sure that we embody that piece of compassion. And so it's, so that's my measurement is that my mom described me from fiery to passionate. And I think that's a success. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And you still have cranky days from time to time anyway. Uh, yeah, I still have cranky days. Yes. But there are a lot, there are a lot fewer. And I also find that when I, um, when I sort of lose it, you know, when I have a bad day, I feel awful. Mm. It really affects me in a way that I'm like, wow, I just want to go to sleep and wake up tomorrow so I can start another day. <laughs> and then I realize how that kind of like, that affects me personally. So it's not just about having an argument with someone else and how that other person is feeling. It's also internally to me. And mm -hmm. so the less I can cause myself suffering, the better. And so, yeah, yeah there are bad days. But they're definitely fewer because of practice. If somebody wanted to reach out to you after hearing this podcast to find a little bit more about the Charter for Compassion or Compassionate Atlanta, mm -hmm. what's the best email address to, uh, or, or what's the best way of getting hold of you? Well, I think they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, they can also find me at leanne at compassionateatl.org. Perfect. Okay. And before we wrap things up, I always ask guests for one key takeaway. Uh, that if listeners forgot everything we'd said for the last half hour, but they kept one thing in mind after the episode, what would that be? Well, I, I think I'd have to go to the golden rule. Well, they actually have a platinum rule. Golden right. rule is treat others as you wish to be treated. Platinum rule is treat others as they wish to be treated. Ah. And so keep that in mind as you go through your day and know that you can make an incredible difference. One person really can shift the world for another. And so, how, you know, uh, passion, not fire, but really treat others as they wish to be treated is how I would, that would be the takeaway. That is great. That's a very positive note on which to end the podcast. Leanne, thank you very, very much. Really enlightening conversation today. Very enjoyable. And um, here's to compassion. I'm definitely going to find out a little bit more about it myself and maybe try to embrace it if, I, if I'm able to do so. You know, and I just want to say that with this podcast, it's what you are doing. You are sharing compassion with the world by putting out voices that are role models and are saying, yeah, it's not a crazy thing that this is really a good way to move forward. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.